in China podcast, where a British and an American girl satisfy all your curiosity and questions about what it's like to live in China today. And now your hosts, Holly and Nora. Hello, everyone. 最近怎么样 That's how you say.、Uh, How you doing recently? Yeah, in Chinese. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Two White Chicks in China. We have an interesting one here for you today. Yeah, this is episode one hundred and twenty-three. Before we start, I just want to say thank you to everyone who's out there listening. I want to say thank you to everyone who's left us a review on Apple Podcasts. That really helps other people find us. Apparently, Apple Podcasts has this funky algorithm that's basically five star reviews really help. Oh, another podcast to listen to calls it a funky algorithm. Oh, and also again, I just want to say thank you to. Everyone who has donated to our Patreon account—that's Patreon.com/slash/TwoWhiteChicks. It's really awesome that we've got those people on there. We also have a comment. Do you remember several episodes ago when we answered the question, Eying's question about jobs for people returning to China? She got back in touch and she kind of left us a half voicemail message, but she realised that the voicemail is only one and a half minutes. So she also left us another message on Facebook and she said, "Hi, Holly and Nora. Thank you so much for answering my question. The struggles for." Returnees is so true. To be honest, I was so scared to come back because I'm afraid that I would be a high die or or seaweed. Uh, luckily, I got a job in Australia, but one day I will come back when I'm ready and I've got more experience. She also added, "There's a lot of employees actually have a higher opinion of students who've studied in America over Australia and UK because apparently the application process for the US and Canada is is more complicated." Well, do you want to know a little facts about China? Yes, please. All right. So, most of you probably know that to enter China, pretty much all countries, with the exception of Serbia, I think, <laughs> right, the, the the one and only. <laughs> Maybe there are others, but that's the only one that I know of. Need visas to travel in China, but recently the government has made Haikou. Okay, so Haikou is the main port city of the island of Hainan, which is known as China's Hawaii. <laughs> it's the only truly tropical place in China, and it's a popular vacation destination. Nation for a lot of Russians and Chinese people to go to escape cold winters, and now you can travel there without a visa. Cool. I actually read recently that the Hainan government, I guess, or whoever is in charge there, is trying to get lots of companies in. They want to develop Hainan even more, I guess, to improve the tourism there. Which I I'm surprised because I got the impression it's a really busy place already. It's definitely busy, but it could use some improvement. I've been there、really? a couple times. Yeah. Is it looking a bit dead? A little bit, yeah. But、mm. I'm sure that since I've been there, it's been a couple years since I've been there. I'm sure they've made a lot of massive improvements.、Yeah. The city itself was not really much to look at, and so maybe they're trying to make that into a more cultural hub. I'm not sure. But it was kind of a standard communist-style Chinese city, but then it's just like set on a really beautiful beach. Yeah, they have nude beaches there, by the way. I stumbled across one. It was all male nude beach. It was quite a shock. <laughs> <laughs> I was not expecting to see that because in China, you know, when women go to the beach, I don't know if you've heard of this thing called the face kini, but they、mm. cover themselves from head to toe, literally wearing these ski mask-like face kini things to protect their skin from the sun. And even those women who don't mind showing off a little skin, 
their swimming suits here are so modest, mm-hmm. especially the bottom part. Pretty much all the bottoms have skirts, little skirts little that go around. Yeah. yeah, and if they show the midriff, it's not like a full-on, like in the U.S., or I guess in most Western countries, your bikini bottoms are just held together by a thread, basically. Stress. Yeah. But in China, it's like full coverage, granny, panty style. Yeah. <laughs> Which I find quite strange because you could assume it's about modesty, but if you go to a spa, they're definitely not modest there. You see people wandering around. I but mean, that's all female, right? And all male. Yeah, that's true. So yeah. among the same sex. Yeah. Although I've seen people in saunas. Oh, but they are, yeah, still separate. Se- still separated. Yeah. Yeah. But amongst themselves, people are not as concerned. Mm. Well, yeah. apparently there's definitely indigenous people of Haina. Well, I don't know exactly how indigenous they are. They may have come over from mainland China. I don't know exactly the history. But anyway, there are certain groups of people in Hainan Island who take part in this nude bathing. And there's a whole beach that has men reading newspapers and drinking cups of coffee totally in the nude, which I did not know about until I accidentally stumbled across. So how are you allowed in? Is it not uh, cut off? No. It was just there. I was just walking along the beach. (laughs) Yeah. I was just walking along the whole coastline, and I wasn't really paying that close attention where I was going. I was just walking along the sea, and I just look over and realize that there's about 75 naked naked men over there. So that was fun. Anyway, now you can go and see these men (laughs) without a visa. I've already booked my ticket. (laughs) You can stay for 30 days. This includes most Western countries. There's a list of 59 countries, most Western countries included. So you can go and stay. I I wasn't clear from the article. I'll put the link in the show notes. Maybe you have better eye. Geo, when you look at it, but it, I'm not sure if it just is for Haiko, the right. city of that, Haiko, that or if it's the whole Hainan Island. But really, you, you only want to go, to I mean, it, yeah. Haiko and Sanya, you know, right. you want to, those are the places you want to see. So I, I'm assuming that once you enter Haiko, you can also go to Sanya, which is the most beautiful, I believe, the most beautiful city on the island. So you can fly directly to Haiko? Yeah, cool. I'm sure. I took a flight from Chengdu. I was living in Chengdu at the time, so mm-hmm. I went from Chengdu to Haiko. Yeah. Actually, I went to, from Shenzhen to Haiko, too. Right. I'm just thinking, like, you know, some countries, if you, like, stop off, because I, I, I'm thinking, like, if I wanted to go from the UK or if someone wanted to go from the UK, I guess there's going to have to be somewhere where you stop off temporarily, like, to change. I guess you go to but, Hong Kong first, which most, you, wouldn't you know, you wouldn't need a visa either. Yeah. It, I think it's cool. I think it represents the opening up of China that everybody's talking about. This mm-hmm. is a real step towards embracing tourism in a more open way. Check it out if you feel like going and don't want to, like, I mean, I've heard of a lot of people who come to, they're to traveling through Hong Kong, right? And they are maybe going on to Thailand or some other Southeast Asian country, but they're curious about China and they're like, well, I'm coming to Hong Kong, but I don't have a visa for China. Well, just hop yeah, over no, to can. yeah, hop over to Hainan for a couple of days. You can stay for thirty days, visa free. Yeah, dip your toe in the water. Indeed. So enough talk about tropical waters. What's going on in the news yeah, today? Yeah, this is definitely a change of tone. So this is actually this story has been out there for quite some time, and I was umming and ahhing about telling you about this because it's a little bit sad in a way. This is happening in the Jiangsu province and. They have introduced a test 
for couples who want to get divorced. If they go to the Civil Affairs Bureau and, and apply for a divorce, they have to take a test which will decide whether the Bureau says, okay, yes, you can have a divorce, no, you need to work on it. <laughs> oh, right. This is a quote from the Donghai County Government who say, they want individuals to understand their partners better while knowing themselves and to recall memorable moments in marriage. This exam is three parts. The first, compromises of ten, fill in the blank questions. And I've actually seen this test, such as, when's your partner's birthday? How many times have you travelled as a family? And how do you split housework? But a lot of the other questions are things also like, when's your partner's father's birthday and that kind of question i don't think my husband even remembers when my birthday is he knows <laughs> vaguely you know as it creeps up he'll he'll you know he'll think I, I know it's around this time never mind my father or mother's birthday like that's not gonna happen uh so i think those questions are, are not really very fair because I, I feel as though a lot of men will fail this section of the exam. The second part is um, answering questions about the happiest moment in their in the relationship, the biggest conflict in the marriage, and how they feel they contribute to the marriage. And finally, there's like an essay that asks test takers about their general thoughts on the state of their marriage and future plans if they go through with the divorce. I think the score is out of 100, but if you score above 60, it means your marriage can still be fixed. If it's below 60, it indicates that the relationship is on the brink of collapse without much room for redemption. <laughs> it's, it's sad, really, but this exam is being taken, and the exam was taken first by a couple in their 30s with two children. The wife got full marks, but, and this is in the article that says, astonishingly, but for me, not so. I mean, it's not, a, it's not astonishing at all that the husband scored zero. <laughs> the staff advised the husband to put their divorce on hold because apparently the wife still had deep affection for her partner and family. We'll see how that goes and if they implement it in other provinces. I don't know exactly. Is it legal to get a divorce in China or do you have to go through, like, does it have to be approved by the government? I'm not sure. Mm. I, I think know. it must be very difficult to do that. China tries really hard. Too. Mm -hmm. They try really hard to maintain strong family units. They don't want to go in the way that the West has been going with high rates of divorce. Mm -hmm. So they try their best to keep families as stable and together as possible. Yeah. I, I know women who are divorced. But in fact, I'm not sure if they're actually divorced or whether they just say that they're divorced, meaning we're separated, like we live apart, because it is a very difficult process. You also have to keep in mind the property division is way different in China than you would assume. Like, um, if the husband owns the house, the husband gets the house. There's no yeah. division of assets. So if if it's a marriage between a really wealthy man and a poor woman, she's not going to get half of his wealth when yeah. they divorce. She's going to, basically, whatever she brought to the relationship, she gets that back, as I understand it. So if he bought the house, the house is his. She doesn't get half the house. So it's not that easy for some women to get out of a relationship and still maintain the same lifestyle. So it's not like in the West where if you can 
you know, you marry a wealthy guy, and then when you divorce, if you don't have a prenuptial agreement, you divorce, and you get half of what he's worth. Right. It doesn't work like that here, What's as I mine understand is yours. <laughs> Right. Yeah. yeah I, we've talked about this in the past a long, long time ago, and there's some bell ringing that there's some sort of, like, alimony if, if there are children. I think that maybe the, the husband or the ex-husband is obligated to, to give some money for the child. I wonder if it's more for a boy Ooh. than a girl child. I don't, I don't know the ins and outs of the divorce, but I've, I've mm-hmm. heard it's very different logic than in the West, where it's like <laughs> you try to divide things equally between two partners. Here, it's definitely not like that. Which I think, in a way, is good because it discourages gold diggers basically yeah although those women do exist out there everywhere they do yeah (laughs) yeah it's just a different dynamic here they're usually those gold diggers are usually like on the side aren't they like mistresses Mm -hmm. all right so moving on (laughs) yeah yes let's should we talk about today's topic yeah so um our question today comes from sophia and she says hello i was hoping to get your opinion as a first timer coming to china i got an offer from a training school in nanjing which I was set on first because of the training and experience they offer. Then I got an offer for a school in Iwu, which is better salary and with a furnished apartment. But I heard the city is very boring and I'm not sure if it's where I want to move to, although it's 30 minutes from Hangzhou. What would you do? And then I got another message to say that she decided she wasn't going to go to Iwu, but she says, I'm still curious whether you choose a small city in China, such as Kunming or Changshu, or a tier 2 city for my first experience to meet fellow expats, etc. So, what do we think? <laughs> maybe if we were to do it all over again, knowing what we know, would we go to a small city, say maybe a third tier city, or would we go to a second tier city, not Shenzhen, which is a first tier? The first tier cities are Beijing, Shanghai, Guangzhou, and Shenzhen. They're the most developed cities. And then second tier cities are like Hangzhou, Nanjing, Xiamen, Qingdao, Xi'an, Tianjin, and Chengdu. And also Chongqing, which is an awesome city, by the way. And then they reckon that those second tier cities are usually a few years behind the first tier. So whatever the first tier cities have the second tier will be two or three years behind with technology with their infrastructure that kind of thing and then third tier cities are usually between five and ten years behind the second tier with respect to conveniences such as subways things like the bullet trains that we take advantage of now air-conditioned buses starbucks walmart and other supermarkets well i kind of did it that way yeah Yeah. so when i first decided that I was going to come to China, I decided right away that I didn't want to be in the first, a first tier city. Mm-hmm. For the very reason that my whole purpose of coming was to understand what China was all about. And I think those first tier cities, though having lived here in the, for the long term in Shenzhen, I'm so glad that I'm here just because life here is way more convenient, I think, for long term and raising a family and job opportunities, etc., etc. It doesn't represent the rest of China. Yeah. Especially Shenzhen. Because Shenzhen is like the shop window of China. Mm-hmm. So it's like all these cool new experiments the government is trying out, like green energy and a lot of tech goes on here. They all like started in Shenzhen. So much stuff starts in Shenzhen. So you just get this impression that if you've never left Shenzhen, a lot of people just think 
the rest of China is like this. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really not. So when I first came, I chose Chengdu because it's a cultural hub of China throughout you know, I had been the capital of China in some dynasty, I forget which one it is, but for a long time. And um, it had its own culture and vibe apart from the coastal cities. When I found out where I was assigned to teach, it wasn't even in Chengdu proper, like what they consider Chengdu. And I mentioned this in other episodes, but I'll just say it again. It's not actually Chengdu, the downtown city. Yeah. It's like a whole region. And so I was technically in what was considered the Chengdu region, but I was in a separate small city called Shindu, which was about 45 minutes away from Chengdu. So it sounds like a similar situation for Sophia, thinking about working in a small town that's near Hangzhou. So it's kind of similar. So from my experiences, the difference between, let's say, a small third tier city like that one although i don't even know if that would be considered a third tier city but let's say a smaller town <laughs> town it's hard to define all of these things because in china t like a town like the town that mm. i was in was probably like three hundred and fifty thousand people <laughs> yeah and then Chengdu is the second although i don't know if Chengdu is not on the list of first tier no second second tier yeah, yeah. okay so Chengdu has i don't know i guess 15 million people probably around that now mm. big city Anyway, um, the difference between those two places was great. Yeah. It was a huge difference, even though they were next to each other. Mm. So let me just talk about a few points. One is, like, a main concern some people might have is healthcare. So the healthcare that I received in this smaller town of Shindu was definitely not ideal. It was a lot of traditional Chinese medicinal practices done by doctors who were really trying to sell me a lot of stuff. So I did not have a very good experience with health care there. Mm -hmm. And I assume that in a lot of smaller cities, it's like that. So I think in a second tier city, you might still have to kind of find your way to a good medical facility, but I think the service that you're going to get is going to be much better. So that's one aspect. But if you're living close enough, if you need some major procedure, you can always go to Hangzhou. That's or, it. Yeah. yeah, 30 minutes in the grand scheme of things is not very far. Mm -hmm. Another thing is food safety. I think in the second tier city, you're going to have much stricter controls for food quality and water products in general that you consume rather than in the third tier cities. So I definitely recommend using baking soda to soak any fresh fruits and vegetables mm. that you would eat to remove as much of the pesticides as possible because a lot of that stuff is not controlled in rural areas. So, and actually I saw some statistics for how many people die in China every year and there's a massive number of people who die because of poor pesticide controls. Oh, really? Yeah, in the hundreds of thousands. Oh. I think, actually, this is a slight detour, but I get the feeling that there's a lack of education about food prep in China in general. I think I may have mentioned this some time ago, but I had a Chinese teacher whose sister or sister-in-law got very, very sick. I mean, she was hospitalized for months and months and they didn't exactly know what was wrong with her and in the end they think it was because she had cut raw meat on a board with a knife and then used the same board and knife and not washed it 
and then cut she would cut her vegetables and fruit and they weren't cooked she would just they were just eaten raw and they think that it was some sort of like contamination they think it was some sorry if you're squeamish but she had some sort of like worm in her brain that Ooh, like from, a parasite. That had come from the meat, I think. Mm. Horrible. I think Chinese people are aware, like the ones who are educated, they're aware that the practices aren't very good, so they take extra steps when preparing food at home yeah. to prevent. So, like, a lot of people will soak their. Like in the States, we just wash a, you know, you want to eat an apple, you just wash, you know, just give it, give it a, a little rinse. Yeah. But in China, a lot of people will soak their fresh fruits and vegetables in a kind of a solution, which is supposed to clean it of the pesticides before they eat it. And they also do things like washing their meat or like boiling pork in particular. They tend to like boil it and then throw out the first batch of water. Right. Because they know that it's probably dirty and hasn't been stored properly. And so as an extra precaution, they'll do these things. But as a Westerner, you just assume you buy some meat from the shop, you just cook it right away. You're not going to wash it, prepare it. Mm -hmm. So you have to be aware of these things. And I think it's more necessary to do that if you're living outside of a big city. Definitely, yeah. Because you're not going to be swanning down to Walmart and buying something that's been prepared and it's in a little plastic container or whatever you're going to be buying it from some little side street which i mean in some ways it's better in some ways it's be, more fresh be, yeah. you know because yeah. a lot of those just go there really early in the morning <laughs> yeah it was funny we were talking to our colleague and she was saying that her so her uncle is a traditional chinese doctor and he was saying that a lot of people he believes a lot of people have health problems associated with the refrigerator today that people oh. shouldn't be using the refrigerator to store meats and vegetables. I think in China, a lot of people don't really use a refrigerator very much. Yeah, they buy everything on a morning. Every day. Yeah, every day. Yeah. yeah, so you'll go down, you'll just walk down the street and there'll be like a food truck, basically, a mobile grocery store mm -hmm. sitting on the side of the road. And then a lot of times next to it, there'll be a butcher who has, they have slaughtered a pig for the day and then they just sell it off that day and so nothing is ever refrigerated, mm -hmm. which in a way is more healthy, I believe. Yeah. Makes oh, I, more sense. I, I, I would say, I mean, I, I agree too. But on the other hand, we have busy lives, you know, you don't have time. I mean, I don't really feel like I have time to do that every single day. Right. I, I mean, I, I do actually tend to stop by our little bus van thing to get some fresh fruit most days. But those people who do it every, they go down and get the fresh meat and veg every morning. They're not working. It might be the grandma or the IE who does those things. So yeah. they have that luxury, can you call it? It's not really luxury, but you know what I mean. They have that time, I think. Mm -hmm. What other issues can you think of that would be worth talking about when we compare a second tier city to, let's say, other, <laughs> other cities outside? I would imagine that there are going to be fewer expats. And whilst you might not think that that's going to be such a, big issue I feel like after some time you might feel a bit lonely even if you're making friends with the locals I think that a lot of people still need that connection with back home but if you were out in the sticks somewhere I think that you would struggle I'm sure some people can do it 
and will really would really flourish in a an environment like that. But I think for most of us, we need that social interaction with people who speak our own language. Yeah, if you are a beginner with Chinese, you have a long way to go before you can speak comfortably. You know, express your personality in Chinese language. So even over the course of the year, and that was my because I learned Spanish really quickly. Like when I went because I lived in South America before, and after six months, I you know I just felt like I could communicate. But in China, it's just such a huge. I mean, maybe if you're a linguistic genius, you can do it. But still, <laughs> it's really hard. the The jump is really hard. And so Holly's right. Like I, for example, there were two other foreigners that lived in this town. And when I would even, because sometimes there would be foreigners that were passing through on business, and I would just be that crazy person <laughs> that would just go up to them and right. be like, "Hi," <laughs> because I was so desperate for that right. kind of connection with somebody. Because even though、mm-hmm. the Chinese people that I knew, there were some people who did speak rudimentary English, it still wasn't the same kind of relationship. I couldn't communicate freely. Um, and I did form friendships with Chinese people during that year, but it just wasn't the same. It was just so much more difficult to express, like especially to me, is humor. I was really missing that humor because the culture is so different that it's hard to joke. And with any cultures,、yeah. you know, with language barriers, it's difficult to joke across language barriers. But this is even more so, and so I was definitely lacking that. So after a year, I know I wanted to stay in China, but I was like, I can't do this.、Yeah. So it was so isolating, and I ended up just like watching a lot of TV, honestly. At night, because that made me feel more at home. Yeah, and that wasn't the best use of my time necessarily. But I was so I I felt so isolated that I needed that kind of、yeah. cultural security blanket of just like watching some shows on TV in the evening、mm. that I was familiar with and could understand. Also, watched a lot of Chinese TV. Probably did help with my Chinese, but because I was such a beginner, I didn't really understand a whole lot was going on. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah,、um, my husband when he first came to China, he was in Shenzhen, but he was on the outskirts of the city, which actually now is isn't at all, and it's very accessible. But back then, he was very isolated. There were no foreigners in that area. He it was kind of bad luck. He he'd gotten a you know he thought he was going to get accommodation and whatnot, and it was it was it was kind of a mess.、Um, but he eventually moved over to. Uh, to Futian, which is like the central area of Shenzhen. I think he struggled, but he came for the same. Like he did that for the same reason. Like he chose to be out there, thinking he would immerse himself in the language and the culture and everything. But it didn't really work out that way. <laughs> but he does speak quite good Chinese. Yeah, that, yeah, I think it's. I'm sure、awesome. that's part of it. What would be some positive aspects of living in a third tier, fourth tier city in、mm. China versus living in a second tier? Um, I think one of the biggest things would be the cost of living.、Uh, uh, yeah. Compared to the tier one, and probably to some extent tier two. Although between one and two, there's also a massive difference in price. Obviously, we wanted to help Sophia, so I think most of our responses are for foreigners coming to China. But I actually came across this article, which is about Chinese people. 
moving back to tier two and three cities instead of living in in tier one cities so there's there was a story about this young family he had a, a good job in shanghai but he decided to move back or go to hangzhou and he was able to buy an apartment for a quarter of the price that it would have cost him in shanghai and this was back in 2015 and at the time one square meter was already between 30 and 40 thousand RMB. So we're talking about seven thousand approximately seven thousand US dollars per square meter. And he was able to get something in Hangzhou for a quarter of that price. Not only that, he was able to register his new baby and get a guaranteed school place, which is something that people really struggle with here. And he said although his career progression had slowed down a bit, he could afford a home and when the article was written, I think it was in two thousand seventeen, so two years later the price of the home had doubled. <laughs> yeah, his family was able to get the local, local, <laughs> local, local hooko. <laughs> so that meant he also got medical insurance and education for his child. Hooko is, uh, by the way, I just want to mm, no, interrupt don't. you for a second. Hooko is the permit for you to live, work, and go to school in a certain city. So it's not like in the States where if you are a US citizen, you can go freely wherever you want and live. In China, you can't do that. You can't just say, ah, I'm gonna move to Beijing mm -hmm. and become a Beijing citizen because the schools are good and I want my kids to go to Beijing school. It's way harder than that. Just wanna say, oh, no. if people aren't aware of this hukou thing, mm -hmm. and it's actually very difficult to get a hukou in a first tier city. So a lot of people living here do not have the hukou. Right. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people under the radar, which is why it's so difficult to um, calculate the population, I guess. Mm -hmm. I would say one of the big advantages of living in a tier two and tier three city would be cost of living. I think things are going to be a lot cheaper. I recently was looking into buying, we, <laughs> you know, we daydreaming about this idea of buying a, an apartment here in Shenzhen. And in our area, the average price per square meter is 70,000 renminbi. 10,000 US dollars per square meter. So calculate if you want a 50 square meter apartment, that's a tiny apartment. For that price, it's uh, half a million US dollars. Pocket money? No, no problem. And that's for, by the way, that's for like a really crappy apartment, not a nice one in a new building. That's for in, in a building that's more than 20 years old yeah. and is not on the metro directly and is not, you know, it's the nicer ones are, I looked at one one building that's 85,000 renminbi per square meter. So that's like almost like it's between 12 and $13,000 for one mm. square meter. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Definitely. Super crazy. Actually, most of the apartments are between 70 and 85 or even 90,000 renminbi per square meter and by the way that doesn't include a parking space it doesn't have like a garden mm -hmm. to go along with the apartment it's just the flat so for sure in the second tier and third tier cities the prices are much more reasonable you could buy a whole house like a freestanding single family home 
for that amount of Probably. money. Yeah. 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 My, one of my friends said her property, so she ha- owns a property in Chongqing, and it's a house. Yeah. It's a three-story house, and she said it, it's on the market for about a million U.S. dollars. So that's peanuts compared to how much a, a teeny tiny apartment costs here in Shenzhen. Yeah. Mental. Yeah, a lot of people, as we've mentioned before, a lot of people are here in Shenzhen specifically to work. They're not actually from Shenzhen. Most people, anyway. And they'll have what they call their hometown and they'll have family back there, maybe grandparents or aunts and uncles who may have their own businesses, but they'll usually have and probably have built it themselves, They're like a house. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny really that we all live in these tiny little apartments and then they have three and four storied ho- story houses, plenty of land and they might have orchards and grow their own crops and things. So we have a couple of female coworkers in the technical department and one of them right. has a child and she and actually a couple of them have children and I'm not sure how many of them send their kids to live in the hometown but at least the woman who works here her daughter is being raised in her hometown so she after her maternity leave came back to Shenzhen and then her daughter since the age of six months yeah. has been in the hometown and this is a very common scenario because of this huge difference between the cost of living here and there in her hometown she has her grandparents are there she's got clean air and plenty of space to run around but mom is here in the city working to make the money and dad i guess as well i imagine yeah Yeah. um there's actually a really amazing thread on quora we'll put the link in the show notes too or you can just google on quora or quora it the thread is called what is it like to live in rural china and there's a lot of chinese people who have lived abroad and then returned back to their rural areas who give their opinions about life in rural china and it's really fascinating and there are a lot of photos on there Mm. and it's really interesting if you're curious about village life so that's like i'm talking about villages but i just found it really interesting Mm -hmm to see what their insights are now after having lived abroad or lived in a first-tier city in China, what their impression is of their hometowns. Yeah. Just to carry on with that thread a little bit, a few episodes ago I mentioned a news article I'd seen where there were people who were returning to their hometowns and still working. Their jobs allowed them to work online or whatever, but they said things have changed so much that they can now do all their Taobaoing, you know, mm-hmm. and they have these little offices set up where all the Taobao parcels just arrive and you go and walk to it. It's like a post office, essentially. Taobao is like Chinese Amazon, for yeah. those of you who don't know. But but way better. <laughs> way better. Way <laughs> <And> better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think living in rural areas or second, third, fourth tier cities mm-hmm. is definitely more comfortable now because of just everything's connected. You have the internet, you have... Taobao, you have, and not just Taobao, I'm talking about all online services. I mean, there are places will ship you organic vegetables or you can get whatever you need, basically. So it's not quite as remote as it yeah. was 10 years ago. So there's some, definitely some improvements there. But you're still probably going to have to deal with infrastructure things like, like in, when I was living in Shindu, sometimes the power would just go out right. just randomly and then it would be out for several hours. And I think most places don't have heating. Like, that's a really common thing. Mm -hmm. So just be aware that the reality is very different. You may be able to access 
modern conveniences like Taobao, but you're still going to be living more basically than yeah. in a second tier. Yeah, and I city. imagine on that note, transportation is also going to be less frequent. And I guess traveling to the closest city would probably take a long time. I found several blogs that were talking about advantages, actually, of living in uh, tier three cities. And one said that they felt as though they had more freedom. And not that I'm saying you should do this, but that it was easier to get away with things. <laughs> like, um, for example, you could ride a motorbike without a license. Although even in Shenzhen, which is a tier one city, people have e-bikes and they do not have licenses for those things. Or, right, those or, are illegal here. And they don't wear helmets you know, so I appreciated the remark, like I'm sure there is a, because of say language barriers, you're probably going to get away with things a lot more. Yeah. So if you can't get a bus, anyway, that's what I'm saying. If you can't get a bus, then you can always buy yourself a motorbike and you can just tool around. Mm-hmm. Or they have <laughs> those the like tuk-tuks, like everywhere right, right. in Shindu had those three-wheeled little motorbikes, tuk-tuks. Oh, I should probably mention, if you live outside of a major city, you're gonna need to sharpen your bargaining skills. You're gonna get swindled hard, I'm telling you. I bought a banana for 20 <laughs> You're gonna bring this banana around. I'll never forget about this banana. I spent $3 on one banana back in 2009 in Chengdu. I didn't, was not paying attention to the conversion and I just took, Who I said, was? how much is this? They said 20. I gave them 20. This kind of stuff is going to happen all the time. And he it said, small. sucker. <laughs> that was probably the happiest shop vendor yeah. of the day. He probably closed up then. <laughs> yep. the I made my money for the day. So, Really, you need to be aware of this because in like right. a city like Shenzhen, you don't really need to bargain. You can still bargain if you want, but yeah. people aren't going to be quite as crafty. I think there's more of a, just a culture of fairness here. Like, in like for example, the taxi drivers aren't going to take advantage of you. They're tracked by GPS. If you get the receipt from the cab, they can track you down. And if you like went on a roundabout route or if you charged extra Mm. you're gonna lose your job like you have a lot at stake um in the smaller cities i doubt it's like that so you have to be way more on your guard as a foreigner for these things and just be aware of how much things are supposed to cost because you're gonna Mm. be a really easy target and i don't think that people are gonna be super kind like these are people who their lives are a little harder so they'll do what they need to do to make more money (laughs) oddly enough though actually i found that some of the articles i read said they felt that people were more friendly in third tier cities that does not necessarily mean that they won't try and swindle you mind you i suppose just swindle you with a smile on their face (laughs) right right but i know what you mean people are just generally i think you're gonna be this curiosity even if you're in a second tier city you're still gonna get people who are gawking and like really curious about you but certainly in a third or fourth tier city they're really gonna be curious i had people like following me down the street in shindu like i would just turn around and there would just be a line of people who were just following me they had nothing better to do Mm -hmm. than to just check out this weird old foreigner who's walking around trying desperately to buy cheese (laughs) oh yeah actually many years ago barrett and i went to the you know some park we just got on the metro and we said let's just see where we go and this was before now shenzhen has several more lines this was you weren't sure where you were going to get to so we got we got off a stop and we ended up in this park 
and it was like we were celebrities. It was utterly bizarre. And I mean, I've experienced that a bit before, but this this was on another level. Like everyone we passed was just like, did they say hello? Stared. You were in people's pictures. Goodness knows how many. Yeah, of course. Hello. Yeah. My mom was really shocked coming to Shenzhen because of her time that she spent. Because my parents came when I was living in Chengdu. So they came to Shenzhen and they came to Chengdu, mm. and everyone would always be like, hello, hello. Hello, everywhere you go, you hear this hello, and my mom loved it. She yeah. just loved it. I like wanted to bury my head in the <laughs> sand, but my mom like she just felt like she was a superstar. Yeah. <laughs> and so when she came to Shenzhen, she was really disappointed that people oh. weren't saying hello to her. You could see her the first oh. day walking. I didn't think to warn her about this. <laughs> you could just see her walking out the door the first morning with this big smile on her face, just waiting to be greeted by everybody, oh. and the disappointment that she felt. When she didn't get greeted by every man, woman, and child like she did in Chengdu. Well, next time she's here, I'll have to take her somewhere where she'll get that. Uh, I will greeting again. I will. Yeah, that it's in this blog article. The first one, the first like advantage was celebrity status. <laughs> so, but I think that that totally that depends advantage? on the on your character. I think. For a very short time, I think it can, it's quite, I mean, it's, you know, it's quite a nice ego boost, I suppose. Like, you can kind of feel important for five minutes, but then afterwards it's going to get really, really boring and obnoxious. <laughs> yeah, you're going to have days where you just don't want to be looked at yeah. and you just want to disappear into the crowd and you just won't. Yeah. You just won't. I just remember riding my, because I got an e-bike when I was living in that Shindu city, because otherwise I wouldn't be able to go anywhere. Right. And I just remember whenever I would stop at a light and that I would be stopped next to like a bus full of people and they would all just have their faces plastered yeah. to the window, just staring at me on this mm. e-bike. They were just, they were just so astounded to see a foreigner. <laughs> <laughs> but they're like, you said they're very friendly. Mm. Everybody's really eager to help you. I never felt like it was... Uh, and any kind of aggressive mm. attention. It was just kind of silly and annoying at times. Something I, I found that was quite interesting as an advantage to living in a tier two city was that allegedly they have low rates of crime, like especially compared with Shenzhen, Beijing and Guangzhou, which are apparently the 10 most dangerous cities in China. <laughs> and per for me personally, I do not feel as though Shenzhen is a dangerous city. No, not at all. Beijing, Guangzhou, even Guangzhou, yeah, yeah. kind of. Because yeah, I won't say, I won't say anything about that. I was just gonna say something. You go there, want, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, but yeah, Shenzhen, I don't, I don't feel. I think Shenzhen just has a bad reputation. I mean, I don't know what the statistics are, and what are we talking mm. about? Violent crimes. Because I think I there's know. probably pickpocketing and, you know, general theft. It happens everywhere. Yeah, yeah. But I think in general, Shenzhen is super safe. I but I think in the past there were some gang-related violent crimes. Mm. Shenzhen used to be blocked off to the rest of China. Like, you actually needed a special visa as a Chinese citizen to get into this city. And so there was this massive wealth divide between people in Shenzhen and those outside of the city. And so I think that probably also encouraged this kind of initial wave of crime. Because if there's this huge gap between 
the rich and mm. the poor. If the poor are able to get in, like if they have an opportunity to get into the city, they may use that opportunity to do some petty crimes in order to improve their lives back home. So, but now I don't believe it's like that anymore. I don't know what the mm. statistics are, but no, my feeling as a woman with a baby walking around in the city at night, it's, I mean, it's so safe. Yeah, and there are guards everywhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I walk, say I walk the dog on an evening, I'm going to pass maybe six at least security guards just on that, you know, on that walk. Mm-hmm. So I always feel pretty safe. Yeah. There, there have been times, the one thing, and this is, this is just a no one ever told... Chinese men don't walk closely to ladies when they're walking in the dark on the street. Because <laughs> it's creepy and they might get feel a little bit nervous. That's the only thing I have noticed. No one keeps a nice distance between you. But that's just a, that's just a thing everywhere. You know, you're on top of each other in the metro. Yeah. On if you when you're commuting, you know, people are always on top of you. Yeah, the curiosity does borderline creep. Because I've also had cars following me if I'm walking down the street. Just like a car is just like creeping behind I, me. And I, like, what is I, this? I mean, that, yeah, I would say that does happen. But I'm just talking like we happen to be walking down the street at the same time. But I feel like back home there's some like understanding. Like give the, you know, give the person in front of you some space so they don't think you're going to attack them, you know? <laughs> or whistling, you know? There's, there was a, I, I, I seem to remember this like... I don't know if we were, we had some sort of, cla- like, classes at school or, or how this was taught, but I do remember there being, like, some sort of campaign for men. You know, don't walk too close to ladies, don't whistle, you know, because, you know, you don't want to scare them. <laughs> Chinese men don't understand that at all. Definitely uh, not. It's, you know, sometimes you, you can feel them breathing down your neck, it's, it's dodgy. Yeah. It is. <laughs> but I'll tell you, we recently went on a trip to Cancun in Mexico, and the difference between how I feel in Shenzhen and how I felt in Cancun. For safety? Oh, yeah. Mm. I mean, Cancun is a crap hole. Sorry, Cancun, you have nice resorts, but the city is We're just itself, alienated. All of us. I'm sorry. I think most people know it. I mean, there's some really beautiful places in the Yucatan, but Cancun is just, and you can look at the statistic, it's just not a nice place to be. And so it was such a shock because I haven't thought about safety. Like when I was living in South America, I thought about safety quite a bit because you don't just wander down an alley by yourself in the middle of the, I mean, it wouldn't do that in most U.S. cities either. Right, yeah. So I just kind of, take for granted the safety issue here in Shenzhen. Uh, yeah, and so it was just yeah. So then like arriving in Cancun and being in the nitty gritty area, yeah. it's just it was like, oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. I have, I'm so lucky living in Shenzhen because yeah. this is I could actually sense like my hairs were on end. And I'm not like super I have lived in different places in in the US like I lived in inner city Milwaukee, you know, I've lived like I say, in Santiago, travel a lot in, in South America and in the Middle East. You know, I just, I'm well-traveled. I'm not one of those people who's only lived in a gated community, yeah. you know, like only lived with upper middle class people. And so I'm aware. I'm not just like getting freaked out because it's different. No, I can sense the crime. Yeah. And I, I, I was just really, really surprised at how much it affected me, especially walking around with a baby. I was like, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. wow, I could... I I'm, I feel like I really need to be on my guard and aware of who's around me right now. I just feel so free here in that yeah. way. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it's worse because it's it's a big tourist destination, isn't it? 
I, I feel as though with tourism, you get higher crime rates. Yeah, I'm sorry, Cancun. I know <laughs> Mexico's got some really beautiful yeah, places, right. but you don't hear a lot of good things coming out of Cancun. <laughs> Valladolid, though, is the most one of the most beautiful. Anyway, that's beside the point. Tune in next week for two white chicks in Mexico. <laughs> we dream, we dream. Let's take this show around the world. <laughs> All right, so should we do a Chinese word of the day to yeah, end this? Sounds good. <laughs> All right, so I wanted to give you the word for hometown because it's kind of related. People like to talk about their hometowns, whether they're second, third, fourth tier city. So that's Lao Jia. So Lao it means like old, but in Chinese Lao it it's it's got a like nicer meaning than mm. English old. It doesn't mean old in the derogatory sense. It means old. In a positive sense, so it kind of morally means like experienced, yeah, and like wise. So you hear this word lao also in the word for teacher lao shi.、Mm-hmm. So it and lao wai is also this lao. So it's a very common word.、Um, the character itself can be broken into two radicals. The first one is the lao radical, which means old, and then the second one is one that looks like a spoon. So when I remember this character, I think of an old person who's so old and wise, but needs to be fed by a spoon from another person. <laughs> wow, yeah, all that respect that China have for their elders, and that's what it boils down to. <laughs> What do you mean? Being spoon fed, somebody taking care of them. They're so old that they can rely on somebody else to take care of them now. And then Jia is also a really interesting character. So Jia means family, Jia Ren, family members. So Lao Jia and Jia, the character can be. Broken into again two radicals. The top is a roof, and the bottom is a pig. So if a family can afford to eat pork, they're a happy family. So it's really fascinating when you study Chinese characters and break them into radicals. So these together, Lao Jia means your hometown. So old home hometown. All right. So I will be linking to hometown in、uh, our show notes. So you can go to writtenchinese.com/episode one two three, and I'll also link to any articles that we have referenced in this episode. Please, please send us your voicemails. We're starting to run out of questions, which may, which we really don't want to happen. So. Please send us your voicemails, writtenchinese.com/voicemail, and ask us about life in China, any aspect, and we will do our best to answer them on the show. And if you want to contact us any other way, you can go to our Facebook page, which is facebook.com/twowhitechicks, and the two is T W O. But you can also join us anywhere at writtenchinese.com. Oh, 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 oh. And don't forget, if you have lived in a second or third or fourth tier city in China, we want to know about your experiences.、So、I think there's、please. a lot of people out there who have. Yeah,、sure. so please tell us about it, especially those of you who have done it more recently, because it's been a really long time for me,、mm-hmm. and so I'm sure a lot has changed. So please drop any stories or comments on the show notes at writtenchinese.com/episode one two three. That's an easy one to remember.、Yeah. We really want to hear about you, and、um, we'd love to share them on the show as well. So we hope you tune in for the next episode of the Two White Chicks in China. Bye. 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 Oh, 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 oh,